You're listening to The Special from The Retail Exchange. In turbulent times, it's important to stay connected. Subscribe to The Retail Exchange podcast today. As well as exploring the big conversations in retail, you'll get a global perspective and hear in-depth interviews with some of retail's most inspirational people, all without leaving your home. So what are you waiting for? Visit theretailexchange.co.uk. The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. You're listening to The Retail Exchange with me, Martin Popplewell. The COVID-19 pandemic is first and foremost a health emergency, but it's also an economic crisis causing unprecedented turmoil for retailers around the world as they close the doors on their physical stores. For how long? We don't yet know. In many sectors of retail, business has all but stopped and without hardly any warning. Most believe this is just the beginning of the crisis. In this episode of the special from the Retail Exchange, we delve into the ramifications of the retail crisis that no one saw coming. We'll discuss why it's never been more important for retailers to do the right thing, discuss the short-term and possible fundamental shifts in consumer behaviour that will emerge as a result, and explore what will the future look like after this enforced new dawn. We'll also get a view from India as we talk to Samir Misra, Chief Operating Officer of Vmart, one of India's largest retailers. Coming up. There will be some businesses, unfortunately, who are already stressed, you know, that they've not um, made the switch to omni-channel quick enough. They're hemorrhaging sales because they've lost connection with their customer. If those businesses go bust, coronavirus has just been the final nail in the coffin. It's not actually um, made a huge change. All it's done is accelerated a journey that a failing retailer was already on. But the real travesty here would be that if there are businesses who are good, solid businesses, go out of business as a result of this, and the government hasn't done enough to try and stop that from happening. And I fear that that is going to happen over the next couple of months. I would urge where, where possible to keep projects going, doesn't matter what they are, but managing them collaboratively, perhaps in a different way, is going to be important because as we come out the back, I think it's going to be interesting to see who did the preparation to be ready for whatever our retail economy looks like in a couple of months' time. And I say a couple of months, that's the biggest challenge we have. No, Nobody quite can tell us or is able, obviously, to tell us when that is. Let's begin by welcoming my guest, Luke Tugby, editor of Retail Week, Richard Lim, chief executive of Retail Economics, and Craig Summers, managing director of Manhattan Associates. Gentlemen, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, If you could tell us, first of all, uh, Luke, um, with stores temporary close, what is the, the, the new reality going to be for those physical high street retailers? I think it's a question a lot of chief executives and and boardrooms up and down the country are asking themselves right now. Um, I think online retail, clearly there's quite a high penetration 
in the UK already compared to some other markets. I think we will see an acceleration of that. Uh, there will be a, a lot of consumers uh, across Britain who may never have even thought about trying um, online orders before. And suddenly in a world where they can't go to a, uh, a clothes shop or they don't necessarily want to traipse around a supermarket where they might come into contact with people, they are driven to online. They try it for the first time and, and you can completely see a world where they begin to like the the convenience of having someone turn up on their doorstop at a, a specific time, not having to leave home. And you, you can understand why they, they may never go back to stores after that. They, they may, will just continue to, to shop online instead. Um, so I think retailers will need to carefully consider, as they have been over the past couple of, of years, to be fair, where they have stores and the role of those stores. What is it that's going to get people off of their tablets, off of their phones, and going into a physical location rather than having that convenience of just buying online instead. That's a question they've been grappling with for, for a while, but I think this whole pandemic will really ramp up the need uh, to do that even further. It isn't the reality, Richard, that you know, reading between the lines of what Luke has just said, this is going to be the end or the final nail in the coffin for some retailers, bricks and mortars retailers on the high street? I think that's um, a fair assumption, uh, to be frank. I think for many retailers, a shock of this magnitude um, will just be too much to bear um, for them to uh, for them to continue. And just picking up on some of the points that Luke raised earlier, um, we actually did some research in this area, and what we found is that 40% of consumers have switched to purchasing products online that they had never previously purchased before online. They'd always purchased in stores. And it's this kind of shift in behaviour um, that will lead to those um, kind of longer-term sticky trends where there's a you know a whole new cohort of consumers that have never shopped in this way before that are now discovering um, the convenience of of online, um, but um, but in context of what's happening um, with that shift to online for those retailers who, that don't necessarily have a um, a good online proposition. Um, and they can't shift their business model towards uh, towards being able to service those uh, those consumers. Um, yes, the, un, un, undoubtedly, in my mind, this will be too much for some retailers to bear, and we're and we're and we're likely to see further administrations. Craig, I wonder though if one is going to try and look for some optimism uh, when it comes to bricks and mortar. Will there not, when we come out of the other side of this, be a desire for a whole load of people just to want to get out as much as possible and to reclaim the lives that they had before? And in that sense, maybe there will be, uh, in some senses, possibly the opportunity for some kind of rejuvenation of the high street because people will rejoice at the opportunity to go out and the old sense of the word, go shopping. I, I was thinking that through, and, and it really is something you can believe happening. And those stores that have invested in a far more kind of greater experience in-store and blended omnichannel experience will re really benefit from this because we are, as people, naturally um, inclined to socialise and be social. And, and you only need to look at the news to see how draconian governments around the world have had to be to try and to try and break this so the opportunity 
to be out and about it again, I think will be quite strong. I can see people already planning parties. So, and, and there may be some nice outcomes as well. For instance, I live in a local town on the south coast, and all the local retailers who really have had no online presence before have got together to offer a local alliance and a, almost a cooperative approach of um, online shopping and delivery, where you can get something from the butchers, greengrocers, delicatessens, all in the same delivery tote, as it were. So that's that's quite a powerful thing that I see good. And actually, if that carries on afterwards, they get the benefit of the high street and the benefit of delivery. And to Luke's point, in the UK, there's been a lot of adoption. We've seen it quite a lot. Percentage-wise, as we know, the UK were an early adopter econ. The people you worry about are those that decided not to invest in, in the right omnichannel capability. Going back to you, Luke, there's the obvious impact that the stores are closed and no one is buying goods from those non-essential retailers. But of course, the financial impact goes well beyond um, not being able to sell stuff. Uh, There's a financial impact of of the overheads that these physical retailers have, which are considerable and substantial in terms of of rent and all the other issues. Um, Has the government gone far enough in terms of addressing the kind of challenges that they are facing? Um, I think the easy answer is no. Um, I was speaking to a retailer early today, earlier today and he was talking about uh, the, the loans that the government have bought in and, and essentially they are available to smaller, more viable businesses or they are open to bigger businesses who have a high credit rating. Um, now, this particular chief executive runs um, a business mid-size, you know, over 100 stores in the UK, a decent online offer. It's a solid business. But he described this as a ticking time bomb because his business doesn't have a high enough credit rating to be able to apply for either of these loans. And he is looking at the business he runs and is looking at the cost base. He's looking at things like payroll. He's looking at rents and business rates in the way that you suggested. He's looking at other things like marketing costs. He's seeing all of these things rack up and he's thinking if this persists for two or three months, we could be in some real danger here. And yet this is a business that is on a fairly solid financial footing. There's no danger of it going bust whatsoever in in normal times. So I think the government really does need to wake up and and realise this. Um, You know, Richard made the point earlier that there will be some businesses, unfortunately, who are already stressed, you know, that they've not um, made the switch to omni-channel quick enough, they're hemorrhaging sales because they've lost connection with their customer. If those businesses go bust, coronavirus has just been the final nail in the coffin. It's not actually... Um, made it a huge change. All it's done is accelerated a journey that a failing retailer was already on. But the real travesty here would be that if there are businesses who are good, solid businesses, go out of business as a result of this, and the government hasn't done enough to try and stop that from happening. And I fear that that is going to happen over the next couple of months. Um, Richard, we're talking about what the government can do, can't do, has done already. The reality is, is that the government doesn't have infinite resources and they're being pulled left right and center with so many people understandably making what are reasonable requests there is a limit isn't there to what they can do 
Absolutely. I think there's um, there's there's a, a fiscal limit on what they can do. Um, but then uh, I think the, the I think the point here is that there are already the retail sector even before the coronavirus was already under um, intense pressure. And so for many retailers, they hadn't adapted to the shift towards online quick enough. Uh, they hadn't embraced the, um, the importance of experiences, as an example. And they just didn't have a linked up customer journey that blended all of the, you know, the digital and physical together to, um, to essentially embrace the way that consumers are now, uh, are now shopping. Many of those retailers are incumbent retailers who have got too many stores, they're dealing with inflexible lease structures, they're dealing with rising operating costs, um, and that's put a real pressure on margins. And actually, if you just look at pre-tax profit margins in the retail sector for the top 150 retailers over the last um, over the last uh, eight years they've halved they've gone from about eight percent to about four percent so any kind of shock of this nature for a large part of the industry they just don't have deep enough pockets to be able to deal with this kind of um, this kind of impact on, on on consumer demand so what in 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 that respect whatever measurement the government puts in um, it's unlikely to be able to save um, save large parts or, or some parts of uh, of the retail sector because of those issues. We've been looking at the negative impacts on high street retailers. Of course, the reality is for other online retailers, this is turbocharged their increase in sales, which were already you know, increasingly taking over from those high street retailers. I wonder, Craig, do you think this is going to lead to renewed calls for there to be some kind of new tax on those online retailers to reflect the fact that they don't have the overheads and in this crisis, many of them will have done well out of it? I guess, and I would never particularly comment politically but people always in any business paradigm crave for parity um, and it might drive out some of that i would look at it the other way it is difficult if you're a high street retailer when you're carrying an overhead that that a pure play doesn't at the same time i think it's a shame that many people haven't invested at the rate and pace of the pure plays it's always been an observation of mine if you're a pure play your whole business is is creating the very best experience you can online. And if the high street is to keep up with that, they need to be as good. So there's an interesting comparison there because those that, that have done the right things will be better placed as we see this potentially short-term shift. I think, to Richard's point, it will actually be part of a longer-term shift as well. But we've seen it happening already. But people always want, people always crave for parity in business. It's it, It's a difficult conversation because disruption by its nature isn't taking notice of the shackles a traditional business has. And I just wonder, staying with you, Craig, for a moment, how do you think retail leaders should be using this time? In a way, could they turn this around to be an opportunity to, to, to think, to experiment, to think about new dawns? I would say absolutely have to. We're all in a situation on this call with jobs where it's quite easy to adjust our working pattern. We might not like it, but we can easily work from home. That's a lot harder for a high street retailer. Head office might be able to adapt to that. But of course, 
um, store people absolutely can't do anything from home. So really thinking about what the future looks like, what the strategy looks like, being prepared to take some immediate changes in the way of doing business would be a smart thing to do. If there's projects, I, I would urge where, where possible to keep projects going, doesn't matter what they are, but managing them collaboratively, perhaps in a different way, is going to be important because as we come out the back, I think it's going to be interesting to see who did the preparation to be ready for whatever whatever our retail economy looks like in a couple of months' time. And I say a couple of months, that's the biggest challenge we have. No, Nobody quite can tell us or is able, obviously, to tell us when that is. Luke, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, just to combine the previous two questions, really, in terms of how chief execs should be using time, but also the whole online versus offline taxation debate, um, I think what this... Uh, will probably drive in the longer term is, is a bit more collaboration actually between online and offline players. Uh, if you look at someone like a, a Primark, for instance, they are purely store-based and we're sort of asking ourselves at, at Retail Week at the moment and a, a lot of analysts we speak to are saying, well, is this now time that Primark finally realises that it needs to go online in, in some form? Now, the economics of it running its own online business might not stack up, but could it start to sell its uh, clothing through ASOS, for example, or through the platform that Next um, have set up? And I think it's things like that where, yes, there is always a debate as to whether online retailers should be paying more tax. And and yes, they, they probably should be. It is an uneven playing field. But actually, I think retailers need to be a bit more holistic and future gazing about this. And rather than create an us and them situation around tax, let's think about how we can work together for the benefit of everyone to get through this and to build better businesses going forward um, in the future. Um, The other thing I would say around what chief execs and businesses should be thinking about, Craig mentioned there that it's obviously almost impossible for um, store staff to to work from home. Um, If you look at some of the things coming out of China, um, that they've sold a lot of of product through live streaming. Now, Now, that was already happening prior to lockdown, but it sounds as though things like that have really accelerated while people have been stuck at home. And there's no reason why we couldn't see um, employees from places like Primark, Topshop, H&M. Why can't store managers start to try and um, and sell product through live streaming in a similar way, almost like QVC, but for your mobile phone? Um, whether the UK and, and parts of uh, the West are quite ready for that method of, of selling or not yet, I don't know. But I think these are the sorts of future-gazing things that um, executives should probably start thinking about at a time like this. And Richard, we heard there some thoughts coming out of, of what's happened in China and the fact that they're you know, a couple of months ahead of us on all of this. Is there anything else that you see in terms of what's happened since they've started to, to emerge from the initial crisis there that retailers could learn here? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting question, but I would I'd, I'd bring it back to the fact that we are just operating in... Um, times of uh, you know, intense uncertainty, whether or not, for example, there's a second wave of infections going forwards, you know, we just simply don't know. And, and actually, from a consumer point of view, their perception of, um, or essentially consumers' perceptions are their reality. And so it's really important to, whether, whether or not, regardless of what the science says, 
actually what consumers believe is really, really fundamental in terms of how this affects spending going forwards. And actually, again, some of the, some of the research we've done just shows that, that, that there's about a third of consumers who believe that this is going to persist for more than 12 months. And so I think what that leads to is that consumers are really kind of buckling in for potentially the long haul, thinking that this is going to be uh, going to be a kind of a structural change on the way that they live their lives, on the way that they conduct uh, conduct their work for the fir- uh, for the, for their firms, and of course how they um, and how they live and shop. So I think it's just about we're living in the, in a period of uncertainty, and actually what's really important is is what consumers believe. And, and I think there's, you know, there's just so, just so much uncertainty at the moment. Gentlemen, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed. The global pandemic is truly that. The UK has a population of 66 million. The US, 300 million. But how is it affecting retail in a country with a population of 1.3 billion? To find out, we're joined by Samir Misra, Chief Operating Officer of Vmart, one of India's largest retailers, to discuss the situation in his country and what it's likely to mean for Indian retailers. Samir, thank you for joining us clearly unprecedented times. Can you give us a sense of what retail is like in India right now? Yes, it's uh, and these extraordinary times. Uh, uh, it's like you know, the, probably the movies which you watch. Well, uh, you know, uh, as we know, the st- uh, uh, we are under complete lockdown and the stores are shut. Uh, uh, shoppers obviously at this point of time are worried about safety and essential products and medicines. Uh, I think, you know, I just get a feeling when I was talking to a lot of people, our employees and some consumers, that, uh, you know, Indian consumers have taken this as a, a problem, a big one. And they kind of uh, understand that, you know, it's a problem which uh, is, is very scary. Uh, but they, I think, feel they will come out of it. I, I, I just get a feeling there's a sense of um, indomitable spirit across citizens to fight this. We were trying to do the big festival planning for May and June, which is the Ramadan or Eid period. And there's a lot of weddings in May and June, a big shopping period. And they were still trying to talk me through, well, I was talking to them what's happening in their lives, but they were asking me about what kind of products would we get in the month of May and June. So though these are early days, uh, we are not really in that big growth uh, uh, curve as far as infections are concerned. But I think uh, generally it's not as grim as what I've seen other retailers when I've spoken to my friends across the globe still seems pretty okay at this point of time. And in terms of the, the behavioural changes of shoppers, are you seeing changes in terms of the way that people social distance and how they go about uh, shopping and visiting the shops? So, uh, I mean, all stores are shut, right? And, um, uh, you know, uh, I could talk to you about, you know, what happened probably a week back. Uh, you know, uh, consumers were trying to buy, I think, uh, you know, a, a lot more value products, as I could, you know, sense uh, from um, data. But I think, uh, you know, a uh, uh, whole uh, social distancing and, uh, you know, for us Indians, it's a very, um, uh, you know, <laughs> difficult subject. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, because, you know, we work in we work and we stay in communities communities which are very closely knit, and uh, it, though in terms of buying behavior we couldn't see a pattern, but um, 
I I see that you know uh, from a from whole value perspective, I think uh, they might be an impact when you know the stores reopen. Uh, but I don't see that you know um, uh, there is enough goods and supplies which is available. So I went out to the market, you know, my neighborhood store, and you know it was open, and they had pretty much everything from sanitizers to masks to you know, the general staple products. Uh, so I don't think it's a challenge at this point of time. It's clearly very early days. But what do you think are the likely ramifications for retailers in, in India, both large and small? I, I mean, yeah, it's early days and, uh, you know, um, um, everyone's creating their own business contingency plans. Um, I, I think more than large and small retailers, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, the retailers who have a sound financial model in terms of cash and, you know, the uh, profit and loss statements, people who... The model work on you know um, stores making money and that money actually getting uh, uh, released into networking capital. Uh, those retailers will come out really fast out of it and uh, very quickly. I think retailers who are under debt and uh, uh, who do not make too, too much money in the stores, I think will kind of have a you know a difficult time when this whole thing goes away. And I'm, we are all hoping that it goes away sooner than we think. Uh, there will be certain slowdown which will impact. Uh, and I think the retailers whose brand differentiation in the market, whether it's for essential goods or non-essential goods, uh, where consumers are very clear on why do they go to this retailer and shop, uh, will be able to, uh, I think, come out of, out of it unscathed and others will have a little bit of a problem. What what do you think are the, the likely long-term impacts going to be for retailers such as Vmart and, and others in the non-food sector? Uh, you know, um, I, I think the long-term impact at this point of time is, um, you know, when we open stores, um, uh, uh, I think we'll have to figure out what would be the mindset of consumers in fashion, and especially we deal with fast fashion and value fashion. We, we open, we have stores in the smaller cities in the country, and uh, we target the lower uh, uh, income spend. Um, and uh, we are right now, you know, working on, to be honest, how do we gain more market share when we open? Uh, look, I feel, and this is my personal opinion, that uh, if, if consumers are starved in terms of buying good merchandise for, for let's say, you know, uh, four to eight weeks to 12 weeks, uh, when the stores open, you know, how do we fulfill their needs? Because they would want to buy, you know, they have been... You know, uh, uh, in 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 a lockdown situation, stores were not open, and they would want to go to buy and fulfill their needs. Uh, good news is that you know, I think our market, mind to market, is ninety days, so we don't pile up too much inventory. Uh, uh, we can work for ninety to one, ninety to uh, one twenty days, and which means that we can actually recalibrate our inventory requirement. The good news in terms of India is that uh, this is uh, summer. Uh, uh, we are in, in, in the summer month. Uh, see, we don't have too much of spring and autumn. India is either mostly summer or a little bit of winter, especially in the northern part. So uh, uh, I think what's really important is when we when we, we are looking at autumn winter products and what do you do? Uh, uh, how do you push more value for money product and products which have more shelf life? Uh, for example, you know... Um, a consumer uh, sweatshirt will have eight, 12 weeks of uh, shelf life versus winter heavy jacket, which have three weeks of shelf life. I think I think that's where retailers in their own way will have to recalibrate inventory. And also, 
understand the mindset of a consumer if they are slightly cash strapped they will also want to protect themselves in terms of buying what is more slightly more longer serving and i think uh, a stability is what will be a important requirement in terms of uh, how a consumer will see whether it's essential good or non essential goods i think their buying pattern will uh, i feel will change a little bit keeping in mind what is more important for them to buy Jamir, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Here's what else we have coming up in this special episode of the Retail Exchange Podcast. People make savings to, to do things um, that, they, that they want to, to not use. Um, and, what, and, and that varies um, for, for many individuals. So those sort of needs to indulge will still happen, but just um, you know, in, in a new way. When people are uh, focusing on on their safety needs, uh, I mean, we, we talk a lot about toilet paper and <laughs> and pasta. Um, I think that uh, there is also something very interesting right now is the the re-evaluation of technology being part of safety needs. I mean, I, we just experienced setting up this interview, the, the program with technology. I think I think there will be less money to be spent but we might be surprised how people spend it. Coronavirus has caused significant upheaval in the ways we work, access to social interaction and how we shop. As consumers take protective actions against the virus, we are already seeing dramatic changes in shopper behaviour. From when and where we buy to what we buy as shoppers begin making different decisions. To the impact of the pandemic on immediate and long-term changes in shopper behaviour. I'm now joined by Jamie Rayner, Managing Director of Shopper Centre and Sandra Perro, Senior Strategist at Chiel UK. Sandra, Jamie, welcome. What do you think is going to be the immediate likely impact on consumer behaviour? Presumably, we're just going to see uh, many more people moving even more towards online purchases and away from bricks and mortar when we emerge on the other side of this. I think we just need to, um, I guess, review where we are actually with online at the moment in the sense that we've got a relatively small proportion of grocery expenditure online. Um, The whole system that supports that um, will have to change quite dramatically um, in order to double it, for example, or treble it. Um, There's there's vast changes um, from an operational point of view that need to be achieved in order to, to get to that. Um, Certainly, um, I think what it is safe to say is we've started to see some changes um, in the way in which online is perceived as a solution anyhow, in in the sense that um, actually it's already starting to save shoppers time, it's starting to save them effort, and in some instances um, can save them money. So with those sort of three tenants, if you like, that are really important to shoppers, Yes, we, 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 I think we will see an increase, but quite how much, I, I think, is a, you know, is a massive question at this moment in time. That same question to you, Sandra. Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree with that. Um, I think that uh, the, our capacity to uh, answer online demand is limited uh, currently, and I think we all um, recognise the limit of it right now, and there are efforts to be made. I think that also, um, interestingly, so I'm an I'm a offline, offline retail 
strategist and I value a lot offline retail. And I, what I can see is people also uh, revaluing uh, retail, physical retail as a social space. So I think that uh, this won't go away. I think what is interesting for the physical world and the online, uh, offline uh, service is the raise of a contactless adoption. Can, can I add to that? Um, yeah, I think there's some really important points there um, about that, that sort of experience, that desire for experience. If you think about some of the decisions that you can, that can be delegated um, online, which I think are probably some of the biggest threats to traditional retail, you know, if you think about some of those online subscription services, very easy to automate replenishment. You, know, you don't need to remember stuff. Um, it's very easy to, to actually get some expert curation on things that, you know, actually you don't need to even choose. Um, someone can choose for you. Um, and even things like, um, you know, watching out for a bog-off that isn't, isn't really a bog-off in, in store. Well, online, they can potentially provide guaranteed savings and therefore there's no need to check and trust it, it moves to a different level. So I think there's a number of factors uh, that people will discover going online during this process where they're essentially being forced to. Um, and I think that that is, yeah, that is the threat. Isn't the, the real issue here that for many people, they will be forced to use online in a way that for whatever reason, they had resisted it before. Uh, and once they've used it once, they might well discover that actually, for all sorts of reasons, it works better for them. And although there might be a desire to go out and shop uh, and physically go shopping when we emerge from the other side on this, uh, many people would have been introduced to something which before they'd resisted. Uh, that question to you, Sandra. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think that uh, uh, this, uh, this crisis that we are uh, living will definitely boost adoption, um, definitely. I mean, uh, people are getting, people will experience uh, some problem um, inherent to online um, purchasing, but they will overcome them. They will fix the delivery issue or they will fix whatever they have to fix. And that will definitely boost adoption. Jamie. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I think there are, um, you know, certainly in the short term, some barriers around um, actually very quickly jumping on the online story um, or, yes, online purchasing process. Um, if, you, if you think about um, me, uh, many lapsed users or shoppers that have had an experience of online recently, um, you know, things like Christmas. Um, so you go online, you try to order online because you think that's going to be easy, you can't face the shops. And you're faced with, you know, um, delivery slots that you can't get, um, too too busy, and they can't fulfill your order. And of course, that is happening now, right now, um, with people trying to try um, online back to um, from where they tried it before, um, or people trying for the first time. And, and, and some of those um, experiences um, can be quite negative uh, and could actually sort of push people, you know, if I have to wait to, for a delivery, you know, very easily, uh, you could ditch the whole idea uh, and I just say, it's too late, I'm going to need to go and find food from somewhere. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the barriers to entry, I, I imagine, are still pretty high. But as you say, I think I think you, you rightly say when they start to discover what happens, um, that 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 could be that could be um, seriously challenging. Um, and of course, a lot more people being forced will be forced to discover. 
Isn't reality, Sandra, that the big issue, which we haven't even touched on yet, and it is a massive issue, and it's this, that when we emerge from the other side, there are going to be people who have been very uh, financially badly impacted by uh, this crisis, and there is just going to be less money to spend, and people are going to be nervous about spending that money. Absolutely. I think... um I think people have just came to realize the importance of um, the threat on the economy, uh, on the jobs. Um, it moves super quickly. So um, I think that uh, um, who knows how um, the measure in place will be able to support um, both um, people and retailer and how they will be able to maintain um, a healthy economy, um, I don't know. Um, but what is certain is uh, people will be very cautious about their spending. I don't know if it's the right time to uh, talk about that, but I thought very interesting um, when people are uh, focusing on on their safety needs. Uh, I mean, we, we talk a lot about toilet paper and <laughs> and pasta. Um, I think that uh, there is also something very interesting right now is the, the re-evaluation of technology being part of safety needs. I mean, I, we just experienced setting up this interview, the, the program with technology. I think, I think there will be less money to be spent, but we might be surprised how people spend it. I think... Um, I think that the safety kit of items you need uh, to go through a crisis might change. And I think technology will be part of this. Jamie, I, I wonder, is there something to be learnt by the retailers in terms of the way that they are viewed by the consumers in terms of doing the right thing? So we've had examples of shops which sell sandwiches, giving them away to NHS staff, coffees, free coffees, that kind of thing. How important do you think that is going to be when people are looking back on this crisis? Well, I mean, clearly, um, small um, human kindness goes a very long way at, the, at, this, you know, at these, these points in time. Um, and, um, you know, uh, yes, of course, um, I think it, it's a, a really difficult time for brands to communicate at the moment because everything's so hyper, um, I suppose, linked on um, social media and so on at, at, the, at this point in time. Um, I, I guess people don't want to make a, a mistake. So I, I think there'll, there'll be quite a lot of abstinence from overtly communicating. Um, but those that do, um, you know, the, the, as you've described, really, the, those sort of small acts of things that actually just make a, a difference um, here and now could be a, a very useful tool um, for those trying to sort of to have their brand seen to be doing the right thing in the, at the right time. Um, but, you know, that, that's a, um, a, a really complicated topic I think at the moment and I think we, we learned from um, from shoppers in 2008-2009 actually those that were affected um, you know, very specifically by the, the, the economic crisis is there, there are a number of, of, of things that happened so people actively chose to find different channels to, to buy from you know, hence we've got you know, Audi and Little that are, are, have sprung up where they are now People sort of going, yeah, okay, I, I'll, I'll have the own label of, of this version. I, no, I have no idea why I bought a brand um, in the past. Um, I, I think you've, you've then got that prudent behaviour, if you like, which is 
making sure that I've bought just about the right amount, not too much. I'm not going to waste things, um, which is which is almost sort of the you know the, the the start of sustainable sort of shopping, if you like, or for some. Um, and then you have that that sort of complete avoidance uh, of categories that um, we, we're just not. Um, uh, we, we're just not you know, not the right thing to be tempted by, um, but I, but I think yeah that that sort of um, question around you know even under uh, under times of stress and, and, and crisis and sort of fiscal pressure um, there will still be some categories um, that I think will be surprisingly be um, that surprisingly do well um, because you know what we did learn from 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 that period last time is that. People will make savings to, to do things um, that, they, that they want to, to not use. Um, and, we'll, and, and that varies um, for, for many individuals. So those sort of needs to indulge will still happen, but just um, you know, in, in a new way. Jamie Rayner and Sandra Perro, thank you for sharing your insights. That's it for this episode of The Special from the Retail Exchange podcast. We'll be back with our next episode in the series tomorrow. Thanks to all our guests and the production team for making this episode possible. My name is Martin Popple. Well, thank you very much for listening. Look out for one another and stay safe. You've been listening to The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. Stay up to date with new podcast episodes by subscribing online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening.